for starting on the rocks. Got two of the greatest emails today. Uh, they're so nice and wonderful. I <laughs> know. Uh, one of them from Morgan M, meaning you listened to the episode the day it came out. The day. Cheers, <laughs> Cheers to you. She told us about the actual value of a peso, which is because she's living in Mexico right now, right. which is so great and and very very helpful. So Megan said that it is twenty pesos for every one U.S. dollar. Thank you, because at first we definitely did it the opposite backwards. <laughs> I did it backwards. Don't say we. Okay, take, I was trying don't... to be nice. No, be rude. <laughs> and she told us a bunch of fun other cool facts, and now we're going to use her as our Mexico resource. Yes, absolutely. And then long time listener and patron Sarah W told us that there's a really great episode of um, you're wrong about mm-hmm. that talks about the phrase like well-behaved women seldom make history. Yeah. Cause I've heard that it's kind of a contentious phrase. Yeah. Like there's some, there's something going on there. So thank you, Sarah. I'm so excited to listen to, listen. to it. This thing that we listen. say once a week. Right. <laughs> I want to learn. Oh, I love it. Um, but we're not here to talk about well-behaved women just yet. That's going to come in a little while. <laughs> We're here to talk about her story. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. And this is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. <laughs> and we aren't historians. No. We just got off of a Zoom call with a historian. Yes, we did. And I'm always like, wow, that is not what we do. <laughs> <laughs> They're so smart. <laughs> we are dummies. Um, but you're busy on a Zoom call with your favorite historian. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you don't want to be rude and be looking at your phone during the Zoom call, you know. So while, <laughs> but you are listening to this podcast right. while you're on the call. But it's like a black AirPod so nobody yeah. can see so it. It like sneaks into your head. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. So if you're wondering what these women look like while we're telling their stories and you can't stop and Google it, we are here to describe what they look like so you can get a picture in your head. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, what does your person look like? Okay, so you definitely know who my person is, but you won't be able to guess her off the description. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I am doing an Italian woman with long, dark hair that she kept pulled back at the base of her neck. She had a little bit of a crooked nose and a tight-lipped smile. Her eyes were very deep and piercing, like she could see exactly what was going on, even though other people were unaware. And she was typically in very dark colored professional attire is she like a fashion person no is she modern no is she ancient no (laughs) (laughs) i have no idea who is this person get ready i am doing maria montessori (gasps) that's why i never even looked her up didn't even know what she looked like and also we keep calling her elizabeth montessori and it's not her name (laughs) oh my god i'm so excited it's very exciting because we we have been pushing her off for those of you who don't know, she was like on the docket for like our first season. <laughs> and then we got like a random request for um, Jane Austen. Yeah. So we're we like, bumped Got to do that. Oh, we got a request. We were like, oh my God, people are actually listening. And then we bumped her every, every season. <laughs> so I am here to say it was worth the fucking wait. Well, and I love that because it's a season that you couldn't really bump her on because I don't know if you have, you don't know if I have her. Oh God. Okay. Mystery date season has escalated. So (gasps) penultimate episode. 
Okay. Wait for next. <laughs> I got wild. <laughs> okay. So my person is actually a Women's History Month alum on your end. One of your daughters has portrayed her. Oh, shit. Now I have to try and guess. Okay. <laughs> she is a Muslim woman from the ninth century who is typically portrayed with a long pointed face, sharp eyes that have a knowing look. She is always wearing a hijab. It's normally light in color. And she is typically portrayed with her chin resting in her hand. And when people draw her now, she is almost always carrying books. Eliza did her. Yes. I know the picture. It's in this room. We took yep. the picture in this room. And she, like, created, like, went the first school. She, yep. like, created schools. Fatima Alfihi. Oh, <laughs> yes. That's so... How yeah. well does this match <laughs> I, up? <laughs> I can't express how little we planned this. And also, this wasn't the person I was supposed to be doing the second to last week. This wasn't going to be my penultimate. Oh, because you moved people around. I moved people around, like mm. little chess pieces. <laughs> But I I'm so happy to be doing her because it's incredible. And I can't believe that we're talking about two women pioneers of education. <laughs> Every time that I like post something about her story on Instagram, Fatima, and that's how you say it, right? Fatima. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, I'm going to be mispronouncing a lot of stuff well, today. That's okay. But... I just, I, I have multiple girls with that name at my school and mm-hmm. some guy go by Fatima and some go by Fatima. Okay. But. You win some, you lose some. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Again, she's so sorry if we centuries say it wrong. old. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh my gosh, this is okay. Okay, I'm so excited. Do you want to know what you're about to drink? I do. It's very, very green. <laughs> it's been possibly the greenest cocktail we've ever done. Yeah. So I was thinking a lot about Morocco, and I was looking at drinks in Morocco, and their big drink is Moroccan mint ice, like mint tea. Mm. So I made uh this cocktail based on mint tea <laughs> it's called a love letter to learning and it is iced moroccan mint tea and then i did a spiced simple syrup creme de mint vanilla vodka and you shake that all up and you garnish it with a fr- piece of fresh mint and a piece of star anise that looks really nice so, so pretty mm, it's delicious mm. I really like it. Well, because yeah, when you I like look it at it, you feel like you're going to have that like Slimer high C punch yeah. in the juice box. But no, it's like, it doesn't taste green. No. And it's really refreshing actually. Yeah. Cause yeah. And I think it's because there's tea in there. It kind of lightens the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also vanilla in there, which I think is real. I love vanilla and mint. I was actually, I had a dream recently about, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, actually I had a dream recently about, uh, the hookah bar that I used to go to is Zach a lot. And I used to always get the, uh, it was a vanilla mint, uh, you know, mint flavor right. or like, you know, hookah flavor. And it was delicious. And I had a dream about it recently. Mm. Um, <laughs> so this dream, cause I used to go there frequently. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what do you know about Fatima Alfieri? Okay. So I feel like she pioneered a school. Mm-hmm. Uh, or made a school or, or like a university. I feel like it's a secondary or higher education. I f- feel like she did it for women specifically, but maybe just for herself. I, I think she is Arabic by birth and perhaps Muslim by religion. 
And that is all I know. <laughs> okay. I'm really excited to get into it then. Um, so I got most of this from a podcast called For the Love of History. And then I really just watched all the YouTube videos, but all the YouTube videos about her are like five minutes long. And say the same exact <laughs> and thing. And say the same thing. Right. Um, there are some that had little bits of different information. So you kind of had to watch all of them to get little keys and clues and whatever. And obviously I used her Wikipedia page. Um, but for the love of history podcast did a great coverage of her um, that I think she did the same thing of like <laughs> looked at all these things and then consolidated it. So thank you. And let's get into it. Fatima bint Muhammad Al-Fariya was born around 800 AD or CE in the town of Kirwan in present day Tunisia. Unfortunately, we don't know much about her early life, but we do know that she was of Arabic descent, like you said, um, and she came from a pretty poor family that was about to be displaced. In Kirwan, around the early 800s, the Aglabad rulers apparently did not care for the local Muslim population, so they started taxing them more, they passed restrictive laws, and then they got the army involved. And the Muslim population just had people harassing them all the time. Mm. So between 824 and 826, basically the entire Muslim population of Kirwan had to flee the country. And many people, including Fatima's family, found refuge almost a thousand miles away in Morocco in the city of Fez, where Rory Gilmore never ended up because she became a spoiled brat. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Even though the family were technically refugees, this move actually may have been the best thing that happened to them. Her father, Muhammad, saw an opportunity here, and he became a very successful merchant, which exponentially grew the family's wealth. And not only is he a very good businessman, but he was a kick-ass dad. He loved his two daughters so much that he bucked tradition and encouraged both of his daughters, Fatima and Mariam, to be well-educated and even more well-read in all sorts of studies, not just the Quran. So they, of course, did study the Quran very extensively, but they also studied math and grammar and science and law and whatever else they wanted to study. So things are really looking up for this family. And when Fatima gets a bit older, see, even I'm going back and forth between pronunciation on Fatima. Um, dads are Fatima the biggest Fatima. Um, We're not sure what age she does get married, um, but she eventually, but I think it's a little bit older, like older than I would have thought for a woman of the, the 900th century. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, because if she was born at 800 and they have to flee, you know, around 826 i mean she's already in her 20s she's almost 30 yeah so yeah because i would think she was in her 30s for what age she starts the school because she's in her 50s when she starts the school mm. so anyways so she gets married to this man and things are going along as planned but unfortunately shortly after the wedding her husband and her father both passed away very suddenly oh no it was absolutely devastating, but Fatima and her sister, Miriam, being the only two offspring of Muhammad, suddenly found themselves with a shit ton of money. So wait, women could inherit money in this situation? Yeah. Oh, Apparently, interesting. Yeah, which is very interesting. So she started to look around and she was like, what can I, I can't spend all this money. She was like, there, I literally couldn't spend this much as long as I lived. It was so much money. So she's kind of looking around at the refugee community and she's like this large muslim community is in fez 
What do they need? We all just kind of picked up and moved here. What do we need as a community? So, uh, oh, because also the population was only getting larger. Sorry, this is another point. Um, The population is only getting larger because more people were migrating to Fez because there are other Islamic populations across the world, specifically in uh, southern Spain, that are also being persecuted and having to flee. So this is like a refugee situation almost? Yeah, all of them. Like this just becomes a city of Muslim refugees, um, according to everything that I was reading. Mm. Um, And so she was like, we have all these people coming in. She's like, we literally don't have a mosque big enough for all these people to worship. So she was like, I'm going to buy this old mosque and the land around it. And I'm going to build a whole brand new mosque that is going to be double the size and can fit everyone. But she wasn't just building a new building. She wanted to build a center and she wanted to do it right. And she did this with her dad's money. With her dad's money. Okay. Mm -hmm. So she decided to only use materials found within the land that she purchased. So the yellow sand, the plaster, and the stone used in the construction all came from the ground under the mosque. The quote says that she dug deep into the earth to get her materials. So it's pretty cool because she's like super sustainable. (laughs) But what's interesting is that I don't think it was just for sustainability or to save money. There's obviously no expense spared for this property, but I think that she didn't want to be seen as building something extravagant with a ton of imported goods and wasting a bunch of money. I think she wanted to do it in a way that held the least amount of criticism. Like there was one quote that said that, you know, she didn't want people talking about what, what it was, you know, it it would quiet the talkers or whatever. Um, and it says to me that she was being watched very carefully and maybe some people didn't believe in a woman doing something like this. Well, this is architecture people. There's still less women like architects and also like aren't, I mean, mosques are supposed to not have any pictures of Muhammad. No. Correct. It's just like the words of the Quran. Yeah. And, like, his vision happened in, what, like, 622? Yeah. This is less than 200 years later? Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's, like, when you think that that's, like, early Christians. Like, these are the first people, like, yeah. who are really celebrating this in a big way. Yeah, absolutely. And I love this whole thing, too, because she didn't just, like, tell someone, like, I want you to build a huge mosque or just, you know, like her general idea or whatever. She did everything herself. She designed the building. She made every last decision about what went inside and what went on the walls. And she oversaw the construction and the crew every day. And there were a lot of days involved in this uh, because the mosque took 18 years to complete. Mm. And she was so dedicated to this building that she fasted until it was complete. <laughs> now, like during the day, like Ramadan type yes, fast. Okay. That's exactly it. So it wasn't like <laughs> not was like, eating oh completely. <laughs> uh, she was doing Ramadan fasting rules. So she was not eating from sunup to sundown. Um, but that's still hard to do for 18 years. <laughs> but when it was finished, she walked in and became the first person to pray to God and thank him for his blessings in this building that would change the world. The al Karawinian Mosque was founded in 859. So she, if we're talking about 800, is 59 years old when the mosque is finished. Didn't Islamic people come up with algebra? Oh, yeah. We're going to get to it. Okay. That's another thing I know. Wait. No, okay. Is she involved with that? Yes. Ah, yes. I'm having a breakdown. I know. It's un- 
you're not you're not gonna believe the things okay i can't breathe now i can't breathe i can't so, breathe and the crusades <laughs> fuck the crusades i know okay. um sorry but this mosque was named after the people who had been displaced from her hometown of Karawan. Uh, that's why it's called the al Karawinian Mosque. It's the People of Karawan's Mosque, which I love. And it was beautiful. It had emerald green ceilings, which is why I wanted to make this green. You know how I <laughs> love a bright gem mm-hmm. color. Jewel tones only. <laughs> so it had emerald green ceilings with white walls, beautiful mosaics throughout, and decorative keyhole doorways, like the ones that are like skinny at the bottom and then like have this big grand opening at the top. You mean like the window that falls around <laughs> the Latin after yes, he's in like Where is he? Norway? But he like <laughs> walks back. Oh, maybe I'm a mountain. Then. Maybe it's a mountain. You know, there's a lot of mountains. I guess so. Around the around Agrabah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but the thing was, I think she wanted it to be beautiful because it was a place that the Carowanian people, the Carowan people, could be proud of you know it's like they had to leave their home and then this was a place that could feel like home to them and they could be like this is where we worship and it's beautiful and we're proud to be here we're proud to be part of this community and fun fact her sister Miriam also founded and built a mosque across the river from her sisters called the Al-Andalusian Mosque named after the Andalusian Muslim population that had been displaced from southern Spain which is so cool because she wasn't even from there, but she saw that she could help another community that had also been displaced. I think she was like, okay, so like our people have a mosque, but these people don't, and they don't have the resources that I have to create something for themselves. I love that. <laughs> I know. That's so sweet. <sighs> but what made Al-Karawan Al-Kar- um, different was that it wasn't just a place of worship. It was a place for learning. In addition to the regular prayer rooms, uh, the mosque had lecture halls and common areas and a huge library. Speakers would come to the mosque and instead of just kind of preaching to a group of people, they would sit in lecture halls and they would listen to the person speak and then engage in a discussion and ask questions, which is still how many college classes are done today (laughs) they also started to have symposiums on particular topics so you could hear multiple people talk about a subject which again universities still do today they're having a panel (laughs) yeah (laughs) they hosted debates on things you know which obviously we love a religious debate (laughs) and then it expanded and the mosque the mosque became a place for anyone to learn about anything literally everyone was welcome you didn't have to be muslim or moroccan or carowinian or carowian whatever sorry i spelled it a couple different ways and i don't mean to mispronounce it over and over again just know that we love you just know that we love you and i i can't remember if it's al carowinian or al carowian mm. Okay. It's one of the two. I'm really trying my best. Um, (laughs) And you certainly did not have to be a man to come and study here. Eventually, you could study a number of things, and you could earn a degree in what you were interested in. And after you took some classes in what you were interested in and presented an oral defense of what you had learned, uh, you got a tassel 
for your accomplishment, and some people even got diplomas. And then some people started to wear specific robes to signal their educational seniority. Stop. (laughs) All of the shit we do started here. Can you believe that? Tassels, robes, diplomas. Yeah, do you see how cool mine is? Yes! Fucking cool. Very cool. (laughs) Degrees could be obtained in music, theology, language, grammar, astrology, math, logic, medicine, and of course, Islam and the Quran. Just anything you could imagine. And algebra was invented in the walls of this institution which is insane katie what the fuck does x what equal what the fuck i don't know <laughs> x equals what one of the most uh one of the most famous students was jaber of arlac who would later go by a different name uh pope sylvester the oh. second <laughs> who you know there are a lot of popes we don't know all of them but this one is famous. Oh, I know them all. Because <laughs> I don't. I know none of them, actually. Um, he introduced Arabic numerals to the European world, which he learned at El Karawan. And if you're wondering why that's important, it's because it's the number system we use today. Zero, one, two, three, four, and so on Et and so forth. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe... That is why we use the numbers we do, because this guy learned it at this university. Well, it's just making so much more sense of why, like, no matter what, math is the same. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. there is different languages. There are different concepts. There are different measuring systems for, like, weight. But math? Math is always the same. Yeah. And it's because of the standard that was brought from here. Another famous student is Ibn Faldun who is sometimes seen as the founder of such disciplines as sociology and economics. (laughs) I'm telling you, it all started here. So when people start to hear about this, because they would learn here, get their degrees, and then go off and spread the knowledge that they were learning, which is why it's so important that she welcomed everyone, because it wasn't just generating the local knowledge, This was expanding knowledge to the entire globe. And people started to flock to Fez to engage in this higher level of learning because it literally didn't exist anywhere else. To put it in perspective, Europe was in the midst of like the Dark Ages and the medieval times. And with the knowledge that people were learning here and taking back to Europe, they would push Europe into the Renaissance. That is why that whole like age of enlightenment happened. So I guess we have Fatima to thank for our beloved Renaissance fairs. You would not be eating turkey legs in a dust bowl if it wasn't for her. <laughs> the next closest thing to Al-Karawin is Azhar University in Egypt. And that wouldn't be founded until um, almost 120 years later. This is the margin. This is how far ahead she is of the entire world. <laughs> Oxford University would be founded in 1069, over 200 years after her university. And it would be another 851 years until they allowed women in 1920, even though the whole damn system was founded by a woman. <laughs> and I would like to mention that she didn't just found it. She became a student. In fact, her diploma, which was carved into a wooden board, is still on display at the university. No. Uh-huh. 
I have chills. I know. But like the good student she is, she never stopped learning. She took classes, sat in on lectures for the rest of her life just for the love of learning. Now, the reason we know as much as we do is because of an account of her life uh, written by historian Ibn Abizar. Apparently, there were some other versions that had more detail, but they were lost in a fire, which is so, so unfortunate. But of course, historians just cannot fathom that this is a true story. Some claim that the legend of the two mosque-building sisters is just that, a legend and a fantasy. Even though we have her diploma. <laughs> it's like, what more proof do you need? It's it like, exists. I imagine like, you know, like there's that famous, you know, meme or whatever of the woman who's like presenting on like astrology or whatever. And someone's like, I don't think that that's what McCartney meant when, you know, he wrote this. And she goes, I'm McCartney. <laughs> I, I wrote this book. Right. I know exactly what it says. I know exactly what I meant when I wrote yeah. it. <laughs> I'm McCartney at all. <laughs> I mean, also it's like there were two crusades between mm-hmm. when this was built, you know what I mean? And fires and like whatnot where it's like, I mean, the crusades were really a religious war to get rid of Muslim people, Yeah, which is like, we lost a lot of this shit to that mm-hmm. like okay it's the fun search for the holy grail and whatnot but it was really to suppress the islamic population yeah and like murder them mercilessly yeah absolutely and it's that's why it's even more amazing that this building is still there i can't even believe that. artifacts still there from the founding it's insane and the university is still operational today and contains what is seen as the world's first library and it's like the oldest library now because you know the library of alexandria famously burned down and we don't have it anymore <gasps> think about it every day now i'm having a panic attack <laughs> and this library houses some of the oldest manuscripts in the world including a quran from the ninth century when this university was founded bound in camel skin it's so fucking cool and its most prized possessions like this Quran are kept behind an iron door with four locks and four keys. In its early years, the keys were held by four different people, but now they are all held by the modern curator. The university has been focusing on preserving these ancient texts. So they have built a lab inside the library focused solely on preserving and digitizing them. So we don't lose them. Of course, there have been lots of renovations over the last few centuries that were not so focused on preserving everything. So they're still finding writings on the wall under years of plaster work. So there's still more things to be discovered in this university. The most recent round of renovations has been inspired in a way by Fatima. In 2016, a female Moroccan-Canadian architect named, named Azisha Shoni was tasked with helping the university get a little spruce up while also preserving as much history as possible. This was such an honor, so cool that they asked a woman that is of Moroccan descent, like everything about it was so exciting. But Azisha said she would only accept the project on one condition, that the al Karawinian Library would be open and accessible to the public again, to everyone. Over the years, it had only been open upon request for researches, researchers and maybe some tourists. 
And she thought that's not what Fatima had in mind. She wanted this building to be open to everyone. She said, I'll only sleep soundly when we have the official opening and I see people using it. So they agreed and she refurbished the whole library. She's the one that put the lab in. Uh, she put solar panels on top to truly bring it up to date. And she put a cafe inside to encourage everyone to sit down for a cup of coffee or mint tea and maybe learn something from a simple conversation with a neighbor. Exactly how Fatima envisioned it. We don't know exactly when or how Fatima died, but it's believed that she passed away around 880, which, if true, would mean that she lived to be 80 years old. Wow! There's a lot about her which is shrouded in mystery, but what I can say for certain is that she changed the world. She brought us the joy of education, and she lived a life well-learned. Mm. And that's the story. <laughs> that's so great. Isn't this fascinating? Yes. And I couldn't believe that, like, all we have are five-minute YouTube videos. <laughs> I was like, I want more. I want more out of this. But, like, I mean, I'm sure that there are other texts and stuff, but... I don't know. It's just like so fascinating. They're like, she created everything that we do now. <laughs> oh, get ready. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> everything. <laughs> I guess not everything. <laughs> All right. Well, we have to come back with another educator. And- oh my God. You would think. Ooh. I can't believe. Ooh. No, she is an educator. Oh, okay. But I, I can't believe that. Um, That we're doing these two. Yeah. <laughs> fucking unbelievable. All, All right. right. We'll be right back. Bye. <laughs> Okay, we're having Joker cocktails tonight. We went from green to purple. Very green exciting. Purple. God. Uh, but I feel we're like back. I'm at six flags. <laughs> <laughs> we're back with, the, I mean, honestly, zero to 60. Zero to 60. We're back with another educator. Um, and this is <laughs> such a great theme for the evening <laughs> since I've been doing it all day. <laughs> Um, so do you want to know what you're drinking? I do. It looks amazing. Okay. This is called a better way to educate. And it is two ounces of vodka, lime juice poured over ice with one, uh, like cross section of lime floating on the top. And then it's just doused with grape soda. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. I haven't had grape soda in years. Mm. God, and it's just as good as the day I fucking remember it. Oh, yeah. God, it's oh, yeah. so good. Can't taste the vodka. <gasps> this is all sugar this time. Oh. So it literally the polar opposite of my cocktail. Yeah. But it's mm-hmm. so good. I love it. tastes like a grape Jolly Rancher. Oh, yeah. And they're the best ones. We all know. Oh, God, yes. It's even got that bite. <laughs> <laughs> this is Infanta, Katie. <laughs> Jesus. Get it together. So, you're right. It's crush. <laughs> okay. So what do you know about Maria Montessori? Okay, so I know that she obviously founded the Montessori schools, and I don't know much about them. I know that it's kind of like an alternative style of education, like more kind of freewheeling. Um, 
I <laughs> the only thing I've heard through rumor is that like there's some like feet washing going on and a lot of shoelessness, which I'm obviously not a fan of. <laughs> Do not ask me to take your shoes off in your house. Yep. I will be really upset I'm unless it's for like religious reasons. Mm-hmm. I'm totally cool with that, but like. Do not have a party and ask, uh, okay, I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. No, you won't. Like, it I makes understand. me so uncomfortable. Well, also, my socks never match. I don't wear matching socks. I don't wear socks. Right. Which so, is a problem. So now you have bare feet. <laughs> now I have bare feet you need like <laughs> You need some socks in your glove compartment like you're going to a bowling alley. <laughs> You know what I mean? That just like- fingerless socks. <laughs> Can you imagine if I walked into parties? <laughs> I'm cringing. <laughs> that was the cringiest thing I've ever heard. That'll teach him a lesson. <laughs> Tell me to put my shoes back on. That'll teach him. Ew. Okay. Well, I hate that. <laughs> hate that love you (laughs) so um maria montessori there's so much information on her obviously because she developed an entire style of education so some of what i got is from her institutes and the institutes that still exist some of it is just from reading biographies or some of the lectures and things that she gave that have okay. been widely translated. And then some of it is just because I know we're not historians, but I do have a literal doctorate in education. So like this <laughs> is something I actually it's know actually about. actually in your wheelhouse. <laughs> like I actually know what I'm talking about when I talk about Maria yeah. Islamic studies, not in my wheelhouse. <laughs> no, mine neither. <laughs> okay. So. Maria Montessori was born August 31st, 1870 in Italy. Her dad was Alessandro Montessori. He was 33 years old when he had her and he was an official of the like Ministry of Finance working in a local like state-run tobacco factory. Huh. So, okay. That's cool. Here we go. Her mom was Rinaldi Stepani and she was 25 well-educated for the time because she was the great niece of this like pretty famous Italian geologist. Mm -hmm. So that kind of gave her a leg up in the family. Mm -hmm. In like when Maria a few years later is three years old, her family moves to Florence and then pretty quickly afterwards moved to Rome because they have to bounce around with her dad's job a lot. So she's kind of all over, you know, greater Italy. She entered public elementary school at six and her record was typical and not noteworthy. And the reason I say that is I don't want people to think she was like born a genius. It's okay. not like she like was walking out of the womb, like Stephen Hawking, like that's a black <laughs> hole. And you're like, calm down, Stephen. <laughs> Stefan. Stefan. <laughs> Stefan Hawkon. <laughs> Keep it together. So she was, however, in her first grade year, given a certificate for good behavior, which Ooh. every parent is like, that's what I really want my kid to get but they don't really want their kid to get that it's like the christian character award right. at the sports banquet yeah. so she was <laughs> that good, everybody knows about she was a good person <laughs> i'm sure everyone had the christian character award oh yeah it was always uh-huh. given to the pastor's daughter <laughs> i want to make that clear the PK? who the PK? was homeschooled should not have been playing on our team how do you even get a christian character sorry award becca what's your home what who you have character towards uh, <laughs> your cat <Yourself>? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I hate us. And then um, she, in second grade, got an award for women's work. <laughs> Don't know what that means. Sweeping? <laughs> Didn't look into it anymore. <laughs> Was concerned about it and turned around. 
So <laughs> don't like this corner of the maze. I hate it. <laughs> Go left. Voldemort is there. Go Cedric, left. watch out. Go left. <laughs> don't touch the goblin at the same time. <laughs> Get to the port key. Okay. <laughs> she um didn't also like love school. She okay. loved learning, but was like, school is boring and I hate school. Mm-hmm. I want to learn, but I hate school, which I feel like a lot of people can associate with. Uh, yeah. So one thing Maria really did love was math and science. So she really wanted to be an engineer. <gasps> To do this, she would have to attend a technical school, which in Italy, only boys could go to technical school. It started mm. in like 16, like 13 okay. years old, you know, seventh or eighth grade. And you would go to technical school. Girls were supposed to go to classical school where they would learn like the languages and cooking and sewing. And she hated that idea. She yeah. did not want to do that. She was like, I deserved an F in women's work, actually. Right. I actually don't because want I that Because I fucking award. hated it. I will shred it. <laughs> so her mom was really open to the idea of Maria going to secondary education at a technical school. So although her dad was against it, the two of them together eventually uh, convinced him to allow her to attend. Okay. And because he works in the ministry, he can kind of like get her in. So at age 13, Maria enters secondary school at a technical school. She's the only girl in attendance for middle and high school, which that sounds fucking terrible. (laughs) While at this institution, she studied Italian, arithmetic, algebra, geometry, accounting, history, geography, and science. Then at 16, she like graduates and goes to another technical institute where she studies math, history, you know, the whole gamut again, physics, chemistry, Mm -hmm. zoology, whatever. While she's at this one, she really gains a strong affinity for biology Mm. and began thinking, you know, instead of being an engineer, I think I want to be a doctor. And people are like, uh, uh, excuse me. Listen, we we thought engineer. We were like gonna we okay, were gonna, like, let it slide. Sure, but doctor, but doctor. Like, come on, it's the eighteen hundreds. This is Italy. Stop yeah, it. get over yourself, lady. <laughs> but she did pass her final exams with a total of one hundred and thirty-eight points out of one hundred and fifty. Oh, okay. Which <laughs> I like, was like one hundred and thirty-eight <laughs> out of a hundred. How does that even work? Yeah, that's crazy. But. <laughs> That would have been good enough for her if she was a man to pursue medicine. So now they kind of have their hands tied. Literally everybody's opposed to it except for her mom. Who's like, we're going to make this happen. Mm -hmm. And she and her mom were very persistent. They first had to convince her dad. And once they get him, him to agree, they go to all of Maria's old technical school teachers and get them to write letters of recommendation for God. her to go to medical school. The hoops. Come right. on. And not like big hoop energy like no. I'm feeling today. Like the hoops she has to jump through. Yeah. Small circus hoop energy. <laughs> like. <laughs> That's on fire. The small circus hoop is on fire and you have to jump through it. So Maria moves forward. The University of Rome, where she's attending, and that allows her in, 
strongly discourages her. They're like, yeah, we're going to let you in, but we hate that you're here. Just <laughs> FYI, <laughs> you were not invited to this party. <laughs> we don't want it. Glad to see you. Wish you would leave. Right. <laughs> so people at the school are like classmates and teachers are constantly making sexist comments and jokes around her. She's jeered in the classroom. They would take up all the seats so that when she gets to class, she has nowhere to sit and has to like stand the whole time. Um, and then specifically because in classes, and we learned about this with Elizabeth Blackwell in classes with men where you had to do like autopsies and there was a naked body, it was inappropriate for women and men to be in the presence of a naked body together. So she couldn't take classes with her peers. She had to come back after hours (laughs) by herself in the dark (laughs) with dead people. You know, it'd make this safer. Is if she was alone with the corpse at night. Right. That would make this just so much nicer and safer. This is what Mary Shelley's are made of. (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) absurd. This is what Frankenstein's are made of. I can't. Hey, Mary. Did you see the meme where, like, Frankenstein's dying? (laughs) And he, like, he goes, I have one last thing to say. It's okay if they call me Frankenstein and not Frankenstein. (laughs) You know what? Bless you, because I also think it's okay. Everyone can fucking stop. (laughs) I was crying. I was laughing when I saw that for the first time. That's nice, too, because I haven't seen that one. Maybe my algorithm is off. (laughs) Mine has a lot of Mary Shelley in it. Am I not reading enough? Shit. Okay. So her fix my algorithm. Look up Montessori later and her dead corpses. (laughs) It'll work. It'll work. So her first night, she's alone in a room with a dead body. And she's like, this is really difficult and scary. She had to confront death. Because women were really sheltered in the 1800s. She didn't have to confront anything like this or talk about her emotion. She had to be stoic. And she was almost ready to quit. She was like, I can't do this alone every night with dead bodies. I hate this. So she took up smoking oh, <laughs> to kind of deal with that. Her. her dad had like a tobacco thing anyway. So fine. And then like halfway through her degree, she won an academic prize um, and is like now or was a very accomplished surgeon later on. Like she got really <laughs> good at bodies. She was a surgeon? Katie, she did not start with education. She's a fucking doctor. <laughs> She's a medical doctor. I thought this was going to end in her not being able to become a doctor i can't believe she actually did it yeah amazing (sighs) okay okay i this is the part that like i know all of her educational philosophy but i had no idea about this early stuff that i was like oh my gosh really like she she went through a lot to get there which also makes me feel we're gonna get to this later (laughs) but she was one of those people that was like why don't we put more doctors in the classroom which is something that i fought for for years like why don't we have more people with phds teaching the most like vulnerable minds in the community like excuse me are you saying that miss fowler should not have been teaching me computer when she was an absolute lunatic i don't think there should be a class called computer I don't think Miss Fowler should have been teaching it. You are going to tell me <laughs> that the secretary, the administrative assistant of our school should not have been teaching us gym class? Listen, she could have known what she was doing. 
She didn't. But she didn't. <laughs> she was having an affair. There are some people. Fun fact. Fun fact. She was having an affair. Fun fact. The secretary that was teaching my gym class was having an affair yeah. and there it all blew up. <laughs> there are a lot of people without education degrees that are amazing teachers. I'm just a proponent for more <laughs> doctors in the fucking classroom with small little minds, little baby minds that we're corrupting with our non-degrees. Okay. <laughs> Should we talk about Miss Fowler in the afternoon? No, I've been talking way too much about Open Bible in the we'll past couple it. patrons. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. <laughs> she was a lunatic. Okay. She had us over her house. She had us go in her hot tub. It's not okay. Okay. Not okay. <laughs> Were you? Okay. Never mind. <laughs> okay. Okay. So. Was I in a computer cult? Yes. <laughs> Good. Good. I'm glad. Computer cult. <laughs> computer culting. Okay. So she wins this academic prize, eventually becomes a really good surgeon. So with this prize, she wins a lot of money and then the ability to like kind of have this internship at a children's hospital. And because she received like 105 on her final exam, she ends up becoming like one of the first female doctors in Italy. She's not the first, but she's like one of the first and the first out of the University of Rome. Oh my gosh. So in her two years though, working at the hospital, she studied pediatrics because she's at a children's hospital and she works in the consulting room and in emergency services and becomes an expert in children's medicine and children in general. Mm -hmm. Her final thesis ended up getting published into a journal and she gained employment as an assistant at the university hospital. And then for multiple years, Maria worked with and researched children experiencing cognitive delays illness or disability so while she's starting her career researching children maria becomes pregnant but maria is not married is not married. <laughs> okay she only ends up with one son his name is mario montessori and he was born out of a love affair that she was having with a man named Giuseppe, which what could be better? You no, know, it's funny is I was going to guess that the baby's name was Giuseppe. Ugh, Mario, Giuseppe, and Maria. Beautiful. Come on. <laughs> Beautiful. Put it in a bowl of pasta. Toss it. Caccio e Pepe, that shit. Perfect. Love that. Love On the that walls. For them. <laughs> <laughs> On the walls. <sighs> so this is really great because the thing is, if she got married she would have to turn down her life of being a doctor and her and her partner decided they didn't want her to do that so instead of marriage they decided to keep their relationship secret have this child together but still be partners and not marry anyone else (laughs) and that worked for a while okay (laughs) but eventually Giuseppe's family needs him to get married for social standing they're like you have to marry someone else so despite what he wanted and what she wanted he had to make an advantageous social connection and he gets married leaving maria and mario alone she's feeling super betrayed and leaves the university hospital like i cannot even be near you i'm really upset which of course you would be you made this pact with someone yeah so She then is a single working mother and has to leave her son in the care of a wet nurse. This is shortly after he's born, who's living in the countryside. And she's distraught about missing the first few years of his life. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you know anything about 
Montessori. It's that it's all about young kids. Yeah. Like yeah. all her schools are about the babies. Mm-hmm. So they do eventually get reunited. Um, long term when he's a teenager and he becomes like her research assistant and they like travel the world together oh, which is that's amazing. nice after graduating and leaving the hospital she is volunteering at the university of rome and she's conducting research at a psychiatric clinic so she visited asylums where she observed children with mental disabilities she did a lot of research and then her research started to move into children that aren't struggling with disabilities, but she audited a course in pedagogy, which wasn't called that at the time yeah. <laughs> because she was like, okay, if I'm going to be observing all these children with mental disabilities, I should like learn something about teaching. Cause I don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And in two years she read every work of educational theory that ever existed And then she found the work of two French doctors who had exclusively done work on children with cognitive delays. So as she's working as an assistant and studying at the clinic and opening her own clinics, she notices something important about kids with cognitive delays. They're not treated with individuality or as if they can advance in any way. Hmm. There's nothing for them to see or feel, or touch, or play with, or look at. It's as if there's no effort put into the hospital setting, and, like, society has completely given up on them. Right. It's like, well, they're not going to be of use to us, so, like, why why would we build anything for them? They're put in, like, an asylum. Yeah, basically. Which is, like, a prison for people you don't want to deal with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Overall, she really began to believe that children needed, quote, special education (gasps) not a medical ward and also she wanted to identify if there was a correlation between these forgotten children and juvenile delinquency she's like if we're not teaching these kids in poverty and with mental disabilities are they growing up and committing crimes because they don't have education maybe we should look into that So she began advocacy on this topic. She would travel and speak and publish and was going all over being an advocate for education for mentally disabled children. Her lectures were so popular because she didn't talk over people's heads. She was concise and easy to understand and interesting. So she gets appointed the counselor of the newly formed League for the Protection of Retarded Children. Now, we don't use the word yeah. retarded mm-hmm. in the same way anymore, but that's what it was called then. Oh, so what year is this? This is the late 1800s. We're not at 1900 yet. I can't believe that. Yeah. I mean, we're so far away from, like, Rosemary Kennedy that it's hard to picture people doing work on this and then that's still happening. Right. And it's because she, um, Montessori doesn't die till well after World War II. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. So she, like, has this very long, prosperous life of trying to persuade people to deal with this. I just had no idea this was her focus. Yeah. And it's amazing. I thought she was just like, get those shoes off those kids. Yeah. Like, just let them <laughs> run around and, like, play with dirt. Come on. <laughs> so she's appointed the chancellor to this organization. 
and is invited to lecture on special methods of education for children with intellectual disabilities. She joins the board of this league and then starts to lecture at a two-year teacher training course. So now she's training other people how to help children with developmental delays. So in 1900, the league actually opened a pedagogical institute to train teachers to educate these kids. 64 teachers were in the first class. During her two years, she developed methods and materials that would also be applied to mainstream children. So if you're an educator, you know that what we say is that if it works with children with special needs, whether they're advanced or um, not yet proficient, it's even better for mainstream kids. Mm. So like whatever you apply for people with, you know, different needs, if you apply it to mainstream kids, it's even better. So like, it's like we should stop treating these kids like they're in a factory. Like it makes no fucking sense. So what she did was have a lab classroom and a lab classroom is kind of like an experiment. You get kids you can get teachers that are going to work together and you kind of test things out to see if they work. Mm -hmm. Um, So this school was an immediate success. It had kids that were either um, considered disabled or went to typical school and were considered uneducatable, like they're not good enough. So such a success, getting attention from all different people. The children in the lab school are just like doing a really great job. She spent she wasn't teaching in the lab school. She believed the teachers were a separate thing. Okay. She's observing. She's doing 12 hours a day of observation of these children and like of kind of like writing and reading and figuring out what to do. And she was like, well, why don't, instead of trying to teach these kids to read and write, why don't we work on motor skills, which today in present day schools, we call life skills for kids that are atypical. They like, pick up the attendance from all the teachers classrooms in the morning and they like deliver mail and like do all the things that you, and they walk around with a special educator that helps them do these life skills that would help them learn how to have a job in society once they're done. I'm feeling very overwhelmed right now. Cause I like, I can see her work in people that I know now. Yes. That's unbelievable. (laughs) She like changed the lives of like our family members and our friends, like in an amazing way. So she is very hands-on and decided every kid needs a different thing. So she eventually left this school and left her own private doctor practice to get another degree in (laughs) philosophy and like is, which is now what we would call psychology. Um, She also pursued independent studies in educational philosophy and anthropology. During this time, she conducted observations and experiments and research in elementary schools. She revisits the work of the two French philosophers and then translates their books into Latin for everybody else to read, like by hand. (laughs) Then she starts to think like, okay, let's apply this to mainstream kids. She was developing what would later be called scientific pedagogy. It's a science. Teaching's a science. It's not a game. And I love this fact because as a young person, I was told frequently that like I would make a good teacher and I didn't realize that I would make a very poor teacher until I was put in charge of like the children at church. (laughs) And I was like, wow, I am not cut out for this. Well, everybody's bad at it at first. Yeah. But uh, also like I, 
it wasn't that I was bad at it. it was, I didn't care about it. Right. And I think that's one of the problems is like I went to school with a girl who like was always told that she would make a good teacher. And then she went and got an education degree, got a job as a teacher, and she was bad at it because she didn't actually care about it. It's just what people tell girls to it's do. It's just what people tell girls to do. And like I knew from a very early age that like I was like, mm, you know what? <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> I don't actually want to do that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. like I didn't really pursue it any further, you right. know, but I think that. Again, I think it's something people are pushed to do and it's not because it's like you like kids. You should be a teacher. It's like there is more to it. It's again like we talk about this all the time because you literally have a PhD in education. Like there is so much to learn and so much to know and respecting it as an art just like algebra. Right is so crucial. It is. And, And people don't see it because it's always been women's work. Yeah. Always. So, which is like why people consider any like young, nice girl. It's like, you'd be a good teacher. Like, Cause I'm what? Cause I'm cute and nice. Like, yeah. okay. I could also be like a flight attendant. Yeah. What, like, what do you want me to do? Come on. So Maria gets invited to oversee the care and education of children of working parents in this new apartment building for low-income families. Hmm. And this is where she really starts applying her method to what we call typical children or mainstream children. It is called the Children's House. It opened in 1907, enrolling 50 children between either the age of two and three or another class of kids that were six and seven. At the time, classrooms had a teacher table, a chalkboard, um, you know, a, a group of tables for kids and like a filing cabinet. And she was like, okay, that's fine. I'll take the environment, but here's what I want to teach the kids. Instead of like reading and writing, I want to teach them personal care, like brush your hair, brush your teeth, mm-hmm. button your pants. I want to teach them environmental care, clean the carpet, put thing, put your toys away, sort things mm-hmm. and garden care. Let's go outside and we'll dig and we'll plant and it'll be fun. So she oversaw the teaching and learning and she observed episodes of deep attention and concentration and then multiple repetitions. Certain kids would repeat the same activity over and over and then a big sensitivity to order. Like I don't want to sit in a row and do that. And given free choice of activity, the children showed more interest in practical activities practical things Mm -hmm. which is why we buy little vacuums for kids to push around the house and little grills for the kids to play with outside and lawnmowers that shoot bubbles because kids are interested in emulating adults so she was like no they want to do practical stuff and we're forcing them to do things that they they don't see their parents reading they don't understand what their parents doing when they're sitting in a chair but they see their parent cooking give them a play stove let them play stove like why it makes so much more sense to let them play that's so smart yeah i also like never thought about the fact that someone had to like say that (laughs) let kids do it let them see their mom and then be their mom that's all they understand oh my god so she also found out that kids are unmotivated by sweets or other rewards it's not about external reward they they want to spontaneously like be in this space with these other children Mm -hmm. and she found that kids were more happy and healthy if they could be met where they want to learn so she started to change things 
First thing she did was remove the heavy furniture and replace it with kid-sized furniture, which we see in every are you classroom <laughs> in the fucking world. Are you telling me that before her, children were just learning on adult furniture? Yes. I can't even picture it. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's insane. She was like, we got to get these little kids desks so they can pull out the chairs by themselves and get in the chairs by themselves because then they have ownership. Then she had everything in the classroom moved down to shelves where they could get it by themselves. Here's where the crayons are. Here's where the paper is. You get it. It's not an adult's responsibility to get it. And then she widened the range of practical activities. Today, we're going to do flower arranging. Today, we're going to learn how to wash our hands. Today, we're going to learn how to care for pets, right? Like, it was all about these are things you can do in everyday life. And then, of course, she created an open-air section of the classroom, which is what most of us today call a reading corner, where you can go when you're feeling stressed, and it's your own private time in the classroom, you just need to be by yourself. I am. I can't picture her being in any other time but like the 90s. Yeah. I can't believe that she was so far ahead. No, I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say ahead of the curve. I'm saying making the curve. She made the curve. She made the curve. That's amazing. Everything she came up with, even non-Montessori schools, like public schools across the world use her ideas yeah maybe not her system yeah but they adopted these techniques like that's crazy yeah so the children were very self-motivated by autonomy and she found that acknowledging a child as an individual yielded better learning and fulfilled their potential this is why teachers give choice when you're doing a project who do you want to study not It's like, hey, we're studying famous artists. Everybody do Da Vinci. It's like everybody pick a favorite artist, and then that's who we'll study. That's her idea. She also developed a way of teaching where the child was in charge of what they were doing, and the teacher was a facilitator of learning. The school was a huge success, and it opened a second one the same year, and it got attention from educators and journalists and public figures. Maria began to experiment with what is now called uh, classroom materials because she was like, there's nothing for these kids to like touch. So what if we like put a whole bunch of letters cut out and put them on a, like on the wall, which we call a bulletin board. What if we like put fucking pictures on the wall of the classrooms? What if we cut out little letters for the kids to move around? Like, you know, blocks, little blocks with letters on them. So the kids can, See them? What if we put pictures on cards with labels, which we would call flashcards? Okay. I was prepared. (laughs) I was prepared for Elizabeth Montessori. Maria Montessori. Montessori. Why don't we call her Elizabeth? Is that? It was a joke early on because we had it wrong originally. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Now I'm feeling like an idiot. What is shocking to me is I thought that she took the current like children's education curriculum and turned it on its head. I didn't know that she created what we see as children's curriculum. Right. That's insane. It's amazing. Ah, she is like the fucking what's her Gilbert of like, you know how like, who is it? Mm, The 
except trash can lady lillian gilbert yes yes lillian gilbert is kitchens, kitchens. <laughs> as elizabeth montessori damn it maria, maria montessori, montessori is to fucking education. children's education it's I amazing i don't understand i couldn't even believe when they were like yeah she invented fucking flashcards i was like what I'm like blocks <laughs> what <laughs> blocks with letters on them so okay. four and five years old old children could then engage with the material and touch it and they gained reading proficiency quickly at well above their age reading range and the kids that she was teaching with cognitive delays many of them were passing tests that typical children were taking so now these kids are like all doing much better so then Switzerland, it's like right above Italy. It's like, hey, can we get some of that? <laughs> so then Switzerland starts to like apply her methods in orphanages and kindergartens. So they're not opening schools yet. They're just okay. applying her methods. Mm-hmm. And she opens teacher training courses to teach other people how to do what she's doing. <laughs> Imagine. Imagine. <laughs> Teaching teachers how to teach. She then decides <laughs> to leave medicine together she's like i'm done because she's still like a doctor at this point (laughs) he's like doing this on the side so she's like i'm done i'm gonna devote my entire life to educational work and making methods and materials for teachers so in 1911 the public schools in italy italy and switzerland all adopt the montessori method there are montessori schools opened in the uk paris argentina australia china india japan korea mexico switzerland syria the u.s and new zealand and other cities didn't have her program but they put it in their public schools such as london johannesburg rome and stockholm Montessori societies spread all around the world and people started to widely translate her works into like every language. In the United States, Alexander Graham Bell and his wife became massive supporters and were like, we need to open Montessori schools in the United States. And the next year, more than a hundred Montessori schools were opened in the U S. So then Maria was like, well, I got to go to the U.S. to, like, do a lecture tour. So she came here and did a three-week lecture tour all over. She was back and forth between the U.S. and Italy for a really long time. But in 1915, in California, she did an exposition where they installed a classroom with one glass wall on the side. So hundreds of people could come and watch her teach these children (laughs) through a glass window. So she also invented the interrogation room. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. She made kids uncomfortable (laughs) but then her dad died that same year so she just like goes back to italy she's like thanks america you're great you'll be fine i trained you you're good even though her ideas were super popular there are definitely a lot of educators who were against her ideas john dewey is a really famous educational theorist the dewey decimal no not oh thank god okay but he's like And I mean, he has some good criticisms, not ones that I agree with. He does say it's overly rigid. So the one thing about a Montessori school is I couldn't teach there. I have Hmm. my doctorate in education, but I don't have a Montessori certificate. So like, unless I learn and get certified in that method, I can't go there. And then I can only use her materials. And John Dewey was like, well, that takes away from like, what educators do like we're creators and inventors and you aren't the only inventor like let (laughs) other people do it so he was kind of upset about that 
And then he was also upset, which I don't think this is rightly so, about her materials. So Montessori and her son, Maria and her son, Mario, actually made like copyrighted their educational materials. So you have to pay to be a part of her program, which is great because educators, they give away their shit for free all the time. That's true. I wrote this lesson. Do you want it? And there's a great website right now that I use all the time. It's called Teacher Teacher Pay Teacher. And you go on and you're like, okay, tomorrow I'm showing the movie Hidden Figures. Does anybody have a worksheet that they created for the movie? And you can pay $2 for another teacher's worksheet. And it's already there. And I just like throw my cash at them. I get it. I print it out. I have the rights to it, but I can't give it to anybody else. And that's like the only rule. I love that because we talk about in the U.S. especially like, you know, intellectual property a lot. And we mm-hmm. talk about it in terms of people like Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg or whatever. But we never talk about it in terms of teachers and the things they create, right. you know. And yeah, you're expected just, to give freely. You're expected to give freely all the time. And it's like, but you know what? No, I like spent I, I spent years developing this curriculum for my classroom. And now you want it for free. Right. Like, no. So yeah, it's also I'm, like, I'm not getting paid enough to right, give it away to for, give it for free. Like if teachers were being paid properly, then right. like, sure. I'll give it away for free. So but like, I kind of like that. Maria was like, no, these flashcards are my flashcards. And yeah. if you want them, you have to pay for them and you have to be a Montessori certified school. And that's just how it is. But people yeah. criticized her for that. But I think it was kind of brave of her to be like, no, this isn't a profession we're scoffing at. Well, and it sets the standard for you will appreciate exactly what i'm doing because this is important and i think we think that what teachers do isn't important a lot obviously people love to say they love love teachers what are you talking about we love them the backbone of our country not all heroes wear capes (laughs) but it's like okay then pay me like i wear a fucking cape right you don't you don't Right. I have your child's mind in my grip while I teach them critical race <laughs> theory. My talents. <laughs> my evil liberal talents. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Okay. So she returns to Europe and her and her son are going to live in Spain. Um, and they spend like 20 years wandering around Europe and like doing whatever, like giving lectures. But then Spain is like, we want all your schools gone. Because a military dictatorship had taken over. Ah, classic. So then she's like, okay, we'll just like fucking go to the Netherlands. So they're living in Amsterdam. Mm. She sets up a headquarters there. Um, and then Mussolini gives her a call. <gasps> and Mussolini is like, can you come to Italy? Because I want our kids to have the highest test scores like in the world. So she goes to Italy to meet with the dictator. <laughs> and it's like hi like yes we can set up all these schools i'll really really help you everything will be fine but starting in about 1930 mussolini is trying to get her to introduce some fascist ideas into her schools oh no and she's like well i'm not gonna do that (laughs) and then to spite him went on like a peace and education tour (sighs) and he's like Get the fuck out of my country. I'm going to close down all your schools. You are not welcome uh, at home. Thank God. I thought this was going to take like a Coco Chanel turn. No. When you're like, no. I hate that part. She's not welcome <laughs> at home because she like turned down teaching. Fuck. Fascism. That's like her hometown. Like I, I, 
I think this is maybe one of the reasons, like, I don't associate her with Italy. Right. There are so many things we associate with Italy. And, not like, her, her, her birth name birth is place. Montessori. Yeah. <laughs> like, birthplace of education is not one of them. Right. <laughs> but then it's, like, because she gave all these peace tours, she's nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize multiple times. She no. never wins, never won, but she was nominated because she goes around the world talking about peace and education. But then her and her son are living in the Netherlands, and it is the late 1930s. So that is not the place to be. They're developing materials, grammar symbols, botany, flashcards, and she is like, I just need to keep pushing peace education. But then India gives her a call and India's like, Hey, we love your peace education idea. Can you come over here? So her and her son move to India and become huge proponents of teaching the lower castes. And all of her work is translated into two separate Indian languages, Hindi and Gurjanti. Is that how you say hmm. it? Gurjanti. I couldn't figure it out, but two separate Indian languages, all her materials are in. Okay. So in India, she started a new section of schools that were for 6 to 12-year-olds, emphasizing independence. That led to two books. Now she has schools up to 12 years old. So she starts studying infancy from birth on. Like, let me see what's going on with your fucking brain. That leads to more books. But then Germany enters World War II. And the Nazi party not only shut down every Montessori school <gasps> in their country and the countries they conquered, but burned all of her books <gasps> and materials because it was too free and like peaceful and understanding. And then when Italy entered the war on the side of Germany, Britain interned all the Italians in the UK and <gasps> their enemy in the colonies and India is a colony of the UK. <gasps> so Mario is thrown in an internment camp <gasps> and she is confined at the Theosophical Society compound and not allowed to leave. <sighs> Mario did two months later get reunited with his mother, but they had to stay at the compound with limited movement rights until 1946. They're, they are living in an internment for years, even though they have spread their educational ideas and peace throughout the entire fucking world. Okay. Unbelievable. This story is such a roller coaster, and I wasn't <laughs> expecting any of this. I wasn't either. What the fuck? So then at the age of 76, when the war's over... Maria and her son returned to Amsterdam, and they spend six years traveling through Europe. She taught courses in all of these years about the development of the child from birth onward. She's still teaching peace, and she says it starts at a young age. They need to learn grace and conflict resolution and global community, which is today what we call character education. Still something we use. She then became a part of the UN Institute for Education in the 50s and addresses advocacy for the rights of the forgotten or neglected, neglected child in the system and says there is a lack of a declaration for the rights of children. She did die in 1952 at the age of 81 of a cerebral hemorrhage in the Netherlands. 
Maria has been featured on coins and banknotes and stamps in Italy, the Netherlands, India, Maldives, Pakistan, and Sri Lanka. She heavily influenced the philosophy of education for children living with disabilities. She's considered the, you know, foundational in the idea of pedagogy as a science and changing schools. There are over 2,200 Montessori schools in the world in over 120 countries, and it is still used to educate children from birth to 12 years old. Her books and articles and lectures are still studied to get today, and her methods are underlying in every public, private, and charter school in the U.S. and most schools around the world. And this is on a personal note. (laughs) (laughs) Education is in huge trouble right now in the U.S. and everywhere because I personally believe that we've forgotten what education is for, and most people listening know that I am toying with resigning at the end of the year because I'm just done. Um... But it's, I don't think education should be about preparing a child for a job that we think they're going to have. It should be about preparing them to learn, which is what we've really forgotten. It's all about what test you're going to take and what you're going to do next and how many credits you're going to have and how many service learning hours you're supposed to have. And it's like, this is a checklist that doesn't say learning to me. Um, And that's really sad. In 2020... Time nominated her as one of the top 100 women as an offshoot of the Person of the Year Award. So just like 100 women of all time, Mm. Maria Montessori. 50 years of her life was spent serving children, and she unraveled the nature of the human being in a way that no other educators were ever able to do because she said there is a better way to do this. And that's Maria Montessori. Isn't that amazing? I am blown away. I didn't know jack shit about her. Obviously, I mentioned washing feet, and that is so far from what she did. No, but she does have a very open classroom where they did learn about cleanliness, and here's how you brush your teeth, and here's how you do this, and here's how you do that. But the fact that, like, that's the only thing I associate with is such a travesty because I'm so overwhelmed with her story. And that's the thing. You know, we've been doing this for some time now. And there are some people who their story overwhelms you. And this is one of those moments. Like, yeah. I can't believe. And now I'm embarrassed. That I pushed her off for so long. <laughs> but also, I, I think we needed to get we needed to get better at the show before yeah. we did someone like this. Because doing her in season one would have been... It would have been done bad. a disservice. It would have been bad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to everybody in season one. <laughs> I love this story. I think it's amazing. And I, I just like, as an educator, I can see her turning over in her grave right now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's gone to shit. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, I think we need to talk about these two educators mm. in a little second. We like to call just the two of us. Okay. God damn, these women loved learning. I know. I think it was so cool that they both really focused on the education of the week. Like, I think Fatima was like, we need to help these refugees. And her sisters were like, we need to help these other refugees. Mm -hmm. And Maria was like, these kids that have these cognitive delays, we can't just like leave them locked in a room. That's distressing. Yeah. Well, because they both saw... 
the power in education, they valued it, you know, and the potential of the human. <laughs> yes. And they both saw outside of the scope. So I think for a lot of time in history, education was seen as a way to maintain power in a certain group of people. Mm. And these two women were seeing so outside of that. And I feel like they were bucking against that. And it's frustrating to see someone like Fatima, you know, doing that so early on and then us getting so far away from that, that it became so elite. Like she created the first university and she would not have been welcome at Oxford right. when it opened for 820 years. That's insane. Yeah. And like Maria wasn't welcome where she was. People were yeah. turning her away. Yeah. And it's just, it's shocking to me that women are entrusted with education, but they're not entrusted with creating education. And yeah. I think that that's really frustrating because Fatima literally created education yeah. and Maria had to become a doctor to deem herself worthy of creating education. Yeah. Well, and they both had to have like thick skin in so much of their life. Like I was thinking about, you know, Maria, going to school and doing these things where everyone is telling her, don't do this. You're not welcome. And her just having to literally withstand that. And, you know, we didn't get a huge picture of it, but I was thinking about, you know, Fatima building this school and her being like, I have to be extra careful because I'm a woman and people are going to be criticizing me, you know? And like the fact that they are trying to do so much more than anyone wants them to do mm. <laughs> for the yeah. better of everyone. Well, and I, I absolutely loved that you brought up the graduation robes yeah. with the like mortarboards and the tassels because there's this amazing picture of Maria mm. Montessori just looking so proud in her robes. Yeah. And it's like those robes are a direct descendant <sighs> of Fatima. And it's like, without that institution, we don't know that we would still be wearing that today. And Mm -hmm. Maria had to fight to wear it. Yeah. And you also think about the things that we don't credit towards literally anyone, but we should tables. (laughs) I was thinking about that, like children's toys and tables and things built for them to learn. We don't think twice about that. We don't think twice about the fact that we have pieces of paper in our house. Like I'm looking at all of yours right now in this room (laughs) that say exactly what we did. And the robes that you and I have in our closet that say exactly what we did. And I think that it's incredible that they created something that is often put in the background of people's lives Mm. that we don't question. We don't talk about the fact that like Elizabeth, damn it. Maria Montessori (laughs) said it's important for children to uh, emulate adult behavior. So like, let's give them a fucking bubblegum lawnmower. Like we don't question those things because they were created by people who gave a shit. Right. And I think that that is the thing that sets them apart and makes their influence so exponentially valuable is they weren't in it for themselves. They were in it for other people. I also think that they brought 
other people together in a really amazing way. So like when we think back to like Socrates and the great methods of like these Greek men Mm -hmm. sitting in these arenas talking to each other, both of these women created common areas. (laughs) They said there should be an open area where people can sit together and just talk because that's when education happens. That's Mm -hmm. when discovery and curiosity blossoms. Like it's not real learning. It's not research. It's not writing a book, but it is where you blossom an idea and you check with your friend. Is this good? Do you (laughs) think this is good? Should I look into this further? And with little kids, it's where you look at this bookshelf and you sit to present day you sit on a beanbag chair and there's these milk crates of books and you pick mm-hmm. the one that looks fun to you and then if you don't like it you put it back because it's not a book your teacher assigned you yeah which is what the whole concept is about an open space that learning should be fluid well and i love that we're talking about university and elementary school which actually have a lot more in common than people think because there's so much more choice oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah and i think that's what's beautiful about both their teaching styles is fatima didn't say you will come to this university and you will get this degree she's like people should be able to study what they want and Mm -hmm. people should be able to come here come to Maybe a symposium they're interested in. Maybe a symposium they're not. And then they find out that they're interested in it. There weren't rules. And I think that they were saying together that, like, yeah, there shouldn't be these strict rules on education because it's not a rigid thing. And education, they both said, should be for everyone. Mm. You know, Maria Montessori was saying, like, education shouldn't just be for standard children. It should be for children that are atypical. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out what they need. And Fatima was saying, yeah, like, I studied the Quran, but it shouldn't be just studying this one thing. It should be for everyone, even if they're not of my religion, they're not of my race, they're not of my country. But I think that they also both said, but it can't be just this one thing it has to be for everyone but flexible enough that like you always feel welcome and i think that's what elementary schools do so beautifully yeah you have to educate the whole person the whole person yes you're not just attempting to teach somebody how to read you're attempting to teach them how to live yeah which is what both of these women tried to do yeah and i think about the fact that like then all these years later you have this architect who's coming in to this ancient university and saying you need to put a cafe in because that's what she would have wanted and you need to open the library to everybody exactly and I think about the times that like I sat in my school's cafe or library or whatever and like it was a space that felt like everyone had an equal right to and that's at the base of this, that everyone has an equal right to education. And that's something just so beautiful that I didn't know that two women were at the epicenter of, which <laughs> makes me want to fucking cry. Yeah. The epicenter <laughs> of education for the entire world is two women. And I'm sure obviously a lot in between, but <laughs> there are standards for how we exist in the world that are based on these two women. That's really cool. Just so cool. And this episode couldn't have been more. <laughs> I can't believe it. I can't <laughs> believe it. It's so dumb. We're so dumb. Oh, I hate it. 
<laughs> All right. Do you have any more thoughts? No. Do you want to toast? I do want to toast. Um, Allie, who would you like to toast this evening? I I just want to toast people who see past what they're told to see. Yeah. Um, I think we crush it in children at a really young age, and I I remember this specific moment on the beach, um, our family beach vacation when Caroline was really young and. She like tried like seven times to pull this shovel out from under this chair Mm -hmm. and producer like reached down to help her. And I was like, no, like, don't help her. Like she'll find another way. And all she had to do was turn it and pull it out like vertically instead of horizontally. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where like, you don't, you don't realize that people have the capability to do those things if you're always standing in for them. And I just love the people who can see past that. And like, I would have never had that thought if I didn't have my degree in education, I wouldn't have known to be like, no, let her figure it out. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure some parents are great at that, but I'm a doer. So like, I was like, no, just let her be. So people who can see past it and like taught me to think like that too. Um, because my, I mean, my entire career for the last 16 years has been based on people like Fatima and Maria. So I love that. Cheers. All right. I am going to toast the women and the people who inspire others to learn. Um, I think we all have that person. Maybe it was a librarian or a teacher who inspired us when we were kids and kind of broke the mold of what we thought learning could be. Mm-hmm. You know, like I always think of Ms. McKee, who was my neighborhood librarian and she like literally changed my life. And I don't know if this woman knows this (laughs) or ever she is, but she was the first person who taught me how to find books that I loved in the library and how to, you know, just like enjoy reading. And who also said like, no, I'm not Mrs. McKee. I'm Ms. McKee. Mm. And she said, cause I'm not married. I'm single. And that blew my mind. I was like, but you're an adult. She's probably like 19. But like in my mind, she was like this 30 year old woman. But I want to toast those people because you might not know the impact that you have on someone else's learning path, whatever that path might look like, whether it ends in a mortarboard and a tassel or whether it ends you know, at like middle school, like I just went to the funeral, this old woman who like literally went like fifth grade was her top education. Like sometimes that's it. And sometimes that's it. But there's always someone that's shines a little brighter. And I just think both of those women did that. And I just want to cheers. Cheers. All right. God, I'm feeling inspired. I'm feeling amazing. But I also need to know, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? I just really love the app Goodreads. Do you have a Goodreads app? I do not. So really just I use it to track what I'm reading. So you can at the beginning of the year. So I think most people use it like my sister librarian uses it to 
um, she can read books, track what she read, and then write a review. Mm-hmm. And like as a librarian, that's what you do. You review books. But for right. other people, you can just set a challenge at the beginning of the year and you put in the date you started the book, the date you ended the book, and then you can give it however many stars you want to give it. Okay. So it just reminds me like sometimes when I'm feeling down and like I haven't done something with myself or like whatever, like I just finished my ninth book of the year today. Oh, I and love like, that. You know what? Tomorrow's April 1st, but like, Nine, but that's, three, that's a lot. That's three books a month. <laughs> like I read that's three amazing. books a month and I'm proud of that. And then it tells you like you're on track to do yeah. X, Y, Z by the end of the year, either pick it up or slow it down. Mm-hmm. Like, so, and it's also cool because it'll say, Hey, you read this, this, and this, you probably might want to read this. Cause other people who gave that book five stars gave this book five stars. Oh, that's so nice. So it really does like help you narrow out what you want to do and what you want to read because I, you know, I'm not the type that likes to just peruse and look at covers. Like I want somebody to tell me if you read hunger games, you'll like this book. If you read this, you'll like this. So I love it. It's a great app and like you can have friends on it and stuff. So like when I put in a book, Emily Homan sees what I read because <laughs> she's my friend on Goodreads. Oh, I love and, that. Like, she reads a book. I see what she read and how many stars she gave it. So it's fun. You know what's so funny? Again, all very kismet. I'm recommending a book tonight. <laughs> Yay! That our sister-in-law-to-be, Olivia, recommended to me because mm. she read it and she said, I think that you would love this book. And I fucking did. (laughs) It's called The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave. Now fiance's reading it. Fiance, now husband. (laughs) Husband, nay fiance. Fiancement? Fiancement. So it is such a good book. It's about this woman and her stepdaughter who are basically trying to solve the mystery of like what happened to the dad slash husband because he disappears. <gasps> the chapters are so short. The story is so riveting. It literally jumps right in. Oh, great. And it is so good. And it's one of those books that makes you excited about reading again, because like, I know I get into lulls where like, I am not finding anything because I am a person that walks into the bookstore and looks at the covers and <laughs> I can't do that. I do it all the time and it bites me in the ass. Uh-huh. Um, cause there was a book that I bought last year that I've, Oh God, I've been trying to read it and mm. I just can't. And it's hard because like you read the, you look at the cover, you read the description and you think this is a book for me and it's not, but this is a book for everyone. It's so fucking good. It's really quick paced and it's, fascinating and it's just great so the last thing he told me by laura dave put it on your goodreads (laughs) next you should read one of us is lying have you read that no katie (gasps) okay i'm ordering it it's a murder mystery i love those and there's a second one (gasps) and i think they're turning it into a show and i think they're turning it into a show okay it's called one of us is lying read that as well okay you heard it here last everybody's into it all right so thank you for being here we're Mm -hmm. so obsessed with you we love you 
Um, we're glad that you're here. We're glad you send us emails. Mm. You send us messages. Charles <gasps> sent us a, um, a comment on Instagram about how he was yelling that we weren't <laughs> making the connection between Liv Tyler and Aerosmith. And he was like, and then you did. Woo, we did it. <laughs> he was like, make the connection, make the connection. You bet your bottom dollar. We did it eventually over time. <laughs> I was really glad we got there because otherwise that would have been disappointing as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Charles. Charles, we love you. Thank you. Um, um um, but find us everywhere. Mm-hmm. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. You can join us on our Patreon. You'll get a little extra tip. <laughs> we're about to do. It's so fun. And um, really, overall, we want you to never forget that well-behaved women have a well-organized junk tour. <laughs> they do. And they really make history. Goodbye. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye